following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Today's scripture reading is from John 17, verses 1 to 26. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom have give, you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now that they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to, to, come to know in the truth that I came from you and they have believed that you have that you sent me i am praying for them i am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours all mine are yours and all yours are mine and i am glorified in them and i am no longer in the world but they are the world in me uh, but they are in the world and i am coming to them and i'm coming to you Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as what, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am of not, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth, in the truth, your word is truth. As, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the word may, be, may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, and they may become perfectly one, so that the word may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also know, whom you have given me, may be with me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, 
and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with you, which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. We're in the middle of, of what's become a series. I didn't necessarily intend it to be one when I started back in uh, Easter weekend as I was finishing another series that I had called Just Like Us, uh, looking at characters in the Bible cum cul culminated, culminating with the Lord Jesus himself to see how they are just like us, that we might become just like them. And Easter Sunday morning, uh, normally the focus is on Jesus' resurrection, and I, and I wanted to share how truly focusing on his resurrection is seeing his resurrection's implications for his followers because he didn't do what he did simply for us to be in awe. We should be in awe of it. It's not for us to simply applaud what he did, which we should do, but he actually accomplished something and is continuing to accomplish something by the power of that same resurrection being at work in us. And there's a sense in which um, we are, in a very real way, what I've been calling heavenly people. We are the people of heaven. Often our concept of our relationship to heaven has to do with a destination. Well, heaven is a destination, but it's more that heaven's destination is earth. That Jesus' purpose is to reintegrate the, the realm of God, heaven, with the realm of earth, the creation. And when Jesus rose from the dead and he was given a new body, he experienced that very thing. And what he experienced in his resurrection, in his bodily resurrection, is a power that has been given to his followers, those who believe in him, who truly trust in him. The power of that actually resides in his people. If we trust in him, that's us. We may or may not be aware of it. We may or may not feel it, but it is a reality. And I've been trying to impress upon all of us, me mainly in my preparation and as I've been sharing with you week by week, that there is a power that is ours that we really need to be in touch with. And several times I've talked about how this just doesn't come naturally. We, we think that if we have this power of God, it's just going to ooze out of us automatically. And sometimes it does that. But part of what is happening in this age as we await for the Lord's return is the reality of what he's done is something that we, the word is appropriate. We have to make it real in our lives. And so the following week after Easter Sunday, we looked at how because of this great transformation work that God has done in, in Jesus, through Jesus in us, we need to put off the things that remain from our old sinful life, and we need to put on the heavenly things, God's goodness and God's, God's good ways of living. Then, um, last week, we looked at how this applies to everyone. There's no status among God's people, whoever we are, our education level, uh, the, our country of origin, um, our economic status. The power and reality of God works equally in all people. 
how it manifests might be different. Of course, we all have different gifts and talents. We might have different roles to play, but the, the reality of the power of God in all of our lives is equally at work in all of our lives. And so this morning, we're looking at a very important passage, which Rachida just read for us, John 17. It's normally called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. It's his longest recorded prayer. And it follows his key teaching in John chapters 14 through 16, which often has been called the Upper Room Discourse. It's where they celebrate the Passover, and there's so much that he teaches them in those three chapters. And he's pre preparing his disciples for his departure and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so this prayer acts as further preparation for his disciples. He's talking to God, of course, it's a prayer, but it was also for his disciples to hear and his disciples being not only them, but us. We need to hear what he was praying and learn from what he was praying. Something that's so key in this passage is what I call the us aspect. He prays for his disciples as he's getting ready to leave, to return to the Father uh, and be sitting at his the Father's right hand, the place of power. But he's leaving his disciples to continue the mission that he began. And in chapter... Uh, Verse 20 of chapter 17, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So this prayer that he was praying to the Father was for them and for all followers, Jesus' followers, ever since that time. And if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus was praying for you in this chapter. So having revealed God to his disciples, and by their receiving his teaching, understanding that Jesus was truly sent by God, and which then put them in opposition to the world, when Jesus came, he came out of God's love for the world, but those who in the world who did not want have any, did not and do not want to have anything to do with God were in opposition to him. And so if we are following him, it's logical that the world is in opposition to us. And so he prays for us. He prays for them and for we. Prays for we? Prays for us. That his joy would be in us. He also prays that they and we would be protected, particularly from the evil one. And he also prays that we, we and they, they and we, would be kept set apart by God's truth. We were singing earlier, Refiner's Fire. Uh, God has sanctified us, and it's his word that continues to sanctify us. Some people are offended, actually, that of the line, I choose to be holy, as if it's something that we could choose. But there's, a, there's something that we're seeing in the series is that there's what God has done in our lives. It's an objective reality. We've been set apart by him, made holy. And yet we're still able to do unholy things. And one of the ways that we're drawn to do unholy things is we don't stay kept apart by his word. We're focusing on the world and its ways and not on God and his ways. It's his truth that keeps us holy, and if we ignore his word to our peril. The prayer closes with uh, these uh, three verses. 
He prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you've loved them before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So when this this end bit says, I desire that they would be with me where I am, many of us would think that he's praying that we would join him in heaven one day. And yet the prayer is not so much about what will happen in some future time, but he's praying for us now, them now, and us now, that we would be with him, because he prays that his love would be in us. So there's a sense in which where he is with God, that place that he has with God, yes, in heaven and not on earth, is a reality that we, that he's praying that we would experience now, that we would have a connection with him in his resurrected state. Then there's this core element in this prayer, which is the main thing that I want to talk about this morning. And I've looked at this for years and years and years, and I hear how people use this, and I don't think it's right. I do not think it's what the Bible's actually saying. What I find is assumption about what Jesus is praying here is controlling what people think more than the words themselves. You be the judge. Corinthians it talks about, I might have mentioned it last week, one person prophesies and the, and the others judge. I'm not saying I'm prophesying, but I'm calling you to what, to God's word. I, I'm taking that risky place of saying, here's what I believe the Bible says. And I encourage you, please don't respond or react based on what you've heard before. But if you have difficulty with what I'm going to say, go to the scriptures. And please, if I am off base, if I'm getting it wrong, I want to hear about it because I want to really know what the scripture says. And I believe there has been a filter over God's people's eyes over what he's saying here that is causing us to miss what God wants to do in our lives. You be the judge. So core to his prayer There's something very, very crucial here. And it seems to be the main request. It's first introduced in verse 11, where he says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Remember, the they is us too. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, just taking this by itself, first of all, he's not defining here what It means to be one, but there's an assumption that's read into this automatically that what Jesus is praying for is that we, his people, would be united with one another. And there have been whole movements, there have been conferences, events, all sorts of teachings that that say that the answer to Jesus' prayer in this high priestly prayer, John 17, is that we would put aside our differences and that we would unite together. And then there's other things that he says here uh, that, give, that tell us, actually, that this is the key of impacting the world. If only we could get our act together and be one instead of so divided with all our denominations, all, all our 
our historical schisms, if we could get that all healed up and truly be one together, united uh, in his name, then we will impact the world. Well, we have not been united, and actually the world has been quite impacted. Oh, but we would impact the world even more, and especially in our day, if only we could be united together. Well, I believe in Christian unity. Um, I will, I'll get into that in a minute, but I don't think that's what Jesus is praying here. Go further in the prayer, starting at verse 21, he says, He prays what he prays, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. In this part of the prayer, Jesus defines what the oneness is, and it's not a oneness with each other, which I believe that if we experience the oneness that he is talking about, we will also experience the one, the a right kind of oneness with one another. He says here, um, first of all, that they may be one as the Father, and he says, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they have this union with one another, which these things are very difficult to understand, but they're still true, that they may be in us. He's praying that his people, his followers, you and me, if we trust in him, would be in the Father and the Son, so that the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. And this glory that was given to Jesus, the glory, God's glory is the manifestation of his character, his person, his power. That was given to Jesus. When he did what he did and said what he said, people were seeing before their very eyes the manifestation of God. And he's saying that has been given to us has been given to us that we would be one, even as the Father and the Son are one. We would be united as, as the Father and the Son are united, but not united with one another. Again, that's a, a, an important thing. But he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. He's praying that that the Father would bring about a union between Jesus' followers and the Father and the Son, that we would be one in God. Now, there, there are other things that talk about impacting the world. In, in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, New commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So, also, so, sorry, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are supposed to love one another. That's the, the new commandment. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a sign when we truly love one another, 
then we reflect what it means to be Jesus' disciples. But that's not what he's praying about in chapter 17. Loving one another and uh, for being united with one another aren't necessarily the same thing. Love will lead to Christian unity, truly. And also the unity that he's praying for is not the same thing as loving one another. Now, unity is absolutely important. In, in Philippians 2, verses 1 to, to 2, Paul tells the Philippians to, to be in, incredibly united. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. One mind. How are we supposed to be of one mind? One mind? That's quite the level of unity there. And I believe it's possible. But how is it possible? How can our community at All Saints Community Church become one mind? Well, it's, the way it's often done is somebody imposes how to think and how to act and, and starts to shame people for not getting on board. And that's terrible. That's tyra tyrannical. That's not godly. Being of one mind comes from exhibiting true honor of God and love of one another. And the way I envision a picture, and I maybe should have made one, but I don't have one, but I think you'll get it very easily, that biblical Christian unity is like a wheel with a hub and spokes. Spokes. We're the spokes. And if we're connected to the hub, then we could all be equally connected to the out part, outside part of the wheel. And now we have something that's united. But we don't become united by trying to overly connect with one another. We become united with one another by being intimately connected with God. And this is Jesus' prayer. Okay. So that we may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, connected to the hub, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've already talked about the glory that he says that it was given to Jesus. He's given that to us. That we may be one even as, that they may be one even as we are one. So the sharing of God's glory that he gives to us isn't so that we just all get along, but that we would together experience union with God. And so Jesus prayed that his followers through the ages, including us, would be united with God in him. Now, who is this for? I think it's already clear what I believe about this. Who is this for? Who's this prayer for? Who is he asking the Father should be united with him together as one with God? Like, many people think this is just for special people. The saints, you know, we're called all saints. That's because we're, because we've been made holy by God. A holy person is a saint. The, what's happened in church history by setting apart only certain people as saints, this is not biblical. The saints of scripture are the believers. Even when we're not acting like saints, if we're true believers in Jesus, we are saints. 
Saints are people who have been set apart by God. That's something that God has done because we've trusted in Him. And yet, in various branches of the of the Christian church, there's still this idea that there's certain people that are the truly holy, the most holy. And it's it's really missing something of what of what Jesus is praying for here. See, we, we what we do is we look in the mirror and we go, I'm not very holy, I'm not very saintly. I, I've been saying that we've been united with God. Well, I, I guess I need to cover this first about the answer to this prayer. Does the Father answer the prayer of His Son? Jesus prayed before He died that we would be made one with God. So do you think the Father answered this prayer? Or is He waiting to answer this prayer? Now, if we are, if we think this is all about getting our act together, then we, we pray, God, please answer your son's prayer that we would get our act together and be united as he prayed for. Basically saying, you never answered, you have not yet answered this prayer. We're still waiting for this prayer that the world might know that you sent Jesus. But that's not what's going on. Jesus prayed this as, as it was a, kind of like a final words to the disciples to let them know what God was going to do. And we know that a little over a month later, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the believers. Not only upon, but the gift of the Holy Spirit was made to reside in His people, that we would be able to be, that we would know, both individually and corporately, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. That's another expression of what Jesus is praying for here, our union with God. God dwells in us. But then how come it doesn't look that way? Well, that takes us back to Colossians 3. And I know this is hard to understand. And there are people, they want to call this a mystery. We don't understand how this works. It's a mystery. Well, biblically speaking, a mystery is something that was not revealed that's revealed now. Paul uses the word mystery in Ephesians, for example, to talk about the inclusion of the nations in the plans and purposes of God. The people of Israel did not understand that. It was not fully revealed until after Jesus had come. And then this mystery was now revealed. But then what theologians, theologians often use the word mystery to kind of put aside those things that we, that, um, we, we're supposed to accept but can't really understand. And yeah, there are things that we can't fully understand. And yet Paul doesn't approach this issue as something we don't really understand. It's a mystery. Rather, he talks about the reality of the power and presence of God residing in us. And yet, we are not yet perfected. And that sort of thing can actually drive us a little crazy. But it's something that we need to reckon with. That when we are seeking to get rid of those things that are not of God, we're not having to climb a mountain to God to somehow get the things that we need or to get rid of the things that, that are still badly affecting us. What we're doing is we're getting in touch with a reality that is actually already ours. The Father and the Son and the Spirit dwell truly in the believer. 
we have been made one with God. That is a reality now. And that's why when we neglect God and when we sin, there's something going on in the believer that is not happening in the non-believer. When we did not know the Lord, we were lost. We were like outside the camp. We were outside of God. But when we come to faith and truly know him, then we are in him and he is in us. So now when we sin, it's like a priest in the temple using the cups and bowls for what they're not for. Now we're taking that which is holy and abusing them. When we were unholy, we were just in a state of, 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 of abuse and of sin and of evil and bad and yuck. Now that we've been cleansed and we're in the house of God, so to speak, and we are the house of God, it's totally different. And that's why we need to take sin very, very seriously and do our utmost to turn from it. Let's not assume that it's not going to be there. The scripture teaches us that now that we are children of God and now that we are united with him, now we have to look at those um, the misguided um, tendencies in our lives. We have to see them through a new eye, an eye of holiness, and say those things don't belong here, and we have to put them to death when they when they when they rear their ugly heads. And then we need to put on. It's like it's like we are now all priests, and so now we put on the priestly garments. Jesus is our great high priest, and under him we are the priests, and we're together with him. We're on the priestly team, and so we need to wear the priestly uniforms. And now, go around and around with this. Um, when I talk this way, we start to get an image of what it means to be a holy person. Now, if you remember, and if you haven't uh, watched my sermon from Good Friday, I encourage you to do so. When Jesus came to earth, he became just like us. He did not go around floating six inches off the ground with a, with a glow all around him and shiny, shiny clothes and talk in a strange voice. He became just like everyone else and showed us what it meant to be holy. And this is where I want to go next in the series, where what does it really mean to be a holy person of God? Because Every time we talk about it, we get these images of what that is, and it's not a biblical image, it's not truth, it's not reality. And it's and because we have a false image of what it means to be holy, and what it means to be like Jesus, because we have a false image of that, then there's no way we're ever going to live accordingly. And while we can't make, we can't answer this prayer, because the Father has answered this prayer, we can do a lot better in reflecting the reality of this answered prayer that we have been made one with the Father and the Son. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so let's explore what this looks like in real life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you hear the prayers of your Son and that you have made us one, us in him and he in you that the world might believe that you sent Jesus. Help us all to reckon with the reality of what it means that you have made us one with you. Lead us in you. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.